For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to weep and a time to laugh. When I walked up these stairs, they may have been a little bit more over here at that point in January of 2005, I had no idea of all the seasons and times that God would give us together. Brothers and sisters, we have seen many good seasons. Seasons of people being saved, disciples being made, the lost being pursued from Greensburg to the nations. And yes, we've had our fair share of out of seasons, hard times as well. But in 18 years, we've been reminded that for everything, there is a season. And so for this morning, I come to you one last time. As one of your pastors, proclaiming to you the very charge that you gave me in April of 2008 when you called me to be your senior pastor, to preach this word unto you. And it has been a joy. Thank you. Today, that beautiful and glorious season comes to an end. And having come to an end, I felt like it was rightful that we would come now on this last Sunday to Paul's last chapter. To Paul's final verses, to Paul's last letter here in Second Timothy chapter four, as Paul comes to the end, there's a sense in which you you get to get the feeling he's under imprisonment in Rome and his history would have it soon. And the few, few years after this, he would find himself beheaded by the emperor Nero. As Paul comes to that end and he sees the sun setting, he begins to have this this tenor of the last chapter, this sense of judgment. And I want you maybe just to wet your feet, to begin walking into the pool with me this morning. Hear Paul's words. Verse 1, speaking of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, who will judge the living and the dead. He says then further in verse 6 that the time of my departure is at hand. In verse 7, he says to us that I have finish the race. In verse 8, he will say unto us that there is the Lord who will award to him on that day. And then he comes to that place in verse 18 by saying that God will bring him safely into his kingdom. Paul again and again throughout this final chapter is saying to us, the end has come. My end is here. So when I ask you this morning this question, what will our lives look like when we come to the end? Or maybe more intentionally for you, what will your life look like when you come to the end? You see, the truth is, as we're going to see here in 2 Timothy 4, we all will come to an end. Either Christ will return or we ourselves will die and go to face him in judgment. And so I want to prepare you one last time and to prepare my own soul one last time to be ready for that. To live in light of that. And so in light of the end, we're going to see three truths today jump out to us. First, in light of the end, keep preaching and hearing the word. In light of the end, Paul is going to say to us, keep the faith. And finally, in light of the end, never forget that God is keeping you. In light of the end. So turn with me now, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 4, as we look at Paul's last chapter of his last letter. And we come to this first truth, in light of the end... Keep preaching and hearing the word. Paul says to him, beginning in verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, you can't hear this. You, you need in some ways to feel it. 
And maybe a morning like this, we might feel it a little bit more in our bones, more than other times. But Paul is reminding Timothy that every time he stands to preach, every time that God has allowed me to stand and preach over this last 15 years and three years prior under the youth, I never preach just to the audience alone. Timothy is never preaching just to the audience alone. He says, Timothy, don't lose sight of it, brother. God and the Lord Jesus Christ are present and they're watching That's what he says to him. He says he was to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. There is that theme of judgment. There is a judge that is standing. He's watching. There's this uh, this moment of of charging him and saying, listen, it's like this courtroom scene that Timothy, as you stand to proclaim the word, believers, as you live your life, you need to realize God is watching. He's present. You see, what we preach here, what we do in worship, what we sing here, how we pray here, how we do missions and discipleship here, all of it matters. Why? Because God has spoken to us in his word, brothers and sisters. And he is standing vigilant, watching, saying, is my church being faithful? Notice that no one will escape God's judgment. Did you hear it? He says, I charge you in the presence of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead. So whether you're living when Christ returns and ascends back from heaven in the clouds or descends here. Or whether you've already died, he says, let be clear, let it be known to everyone that God is our judge. We must all, as Hebrews 9 and 27 says, that that we're all promised to die once. And after that, to face judgment. It's certain that judgment is coming. And so in light of that, in light of that weightiness. He now gives five commands that Timothy is to carry out. The church is to be carrying out. Look what he says to him, beginning in verse 2. I think he puts it as the first of the list for primacy and importance. He says to him, preach the word. The word preach means to proclaim or to make known the good news. After 18 years with you, I am more convinced today than I was when I walked up those steps in January of 05 that the one thing that will transform the church more than anything else is the preaching of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It will transform men and women, boys and girls. It will cause the the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. It is the power of God. He says you are to preach this Word. That word is preaching indicates this herald. It has the imagery of, of one running out into the marketplace and announcing and pronouncing to everyone the good news of what's been done. You see, that's what preaching is. Preaching more than calling you to what you are to do is ultimately about what he has already done. It is calling all of us to focus our hearts and our minds upon Christ. And he says, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, Timothy, preach the word at all times. In other words, GBC, be teaching and sharing this word at all times. Don't lose sight of the setting. Paul again is there in Rome, imprisoned. Soon again, his death is coming. He's passing that torch to Timothy and Timothy on to others who will proclaim God's word. He's saying to Timothy throughout this letter, Timothy, don't shrink back, brother. Keep fanning the flame. Don't be afraid to suffer. You see, Timothy, you may find yourself at times in season where the crowd and the culture around you is is, is approving and affirming. But you may soon find yourself in a culture and a world that's out of season. Who has no toleration for the God whom you proclaim and the God whom you follow. And to say, thus saith the Lord, will cost you greatly. 
You see, you find yourself now in a culture that maybe some of you, depending on your age, you grew up in an in-season culture. But now, as maybe your life is setting or others, as you're coming on the scene, the reality is this is an out-of-season culture. This word is not valued or cared for. But listen to what he says. Be ready even in those out-of-season moments. Proclaim the word. GBC, I urge you this final day, do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. There's this sense of being ready and in season, out of season. Then he almost seems this rapid fire. Look what he says further in verse 2. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Reprove, he's saying to him, listen, correct false teaching. He's telling him to rebuke, rebuke wrong living, and then exhort, encourage right living. It's similar to what he's already echoed back in verse 16 of chapter 3. But notice how he says to do it. With complete, right, or that word could be great, with complete or great patience and teaching. Isn't it interesting that immediately following this call to courageous preaching, there's also a call to compassionate preaching? I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but man, that's often I don't balance one or the other. Just by nature, I, I tend to be a little more, right, just kind of fiery. It's just by my nature who I am. I don't know if that's part of being a little brother and those things. I don't know how God's used all that to shape me and wire me. But listen, the call is to be courageous. Yes, there needs to be those who stand in the pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord and not be afraid to say what needs to be said. But there's also a call to compassion. To not simply take your finger and wag it at somebody down that hole, but to turn and jump down that hole and get your hand and help lift and encourage and raise up other brothers and sisters. This is to be the heart of the church. Courageous and compassionate. Strengthening one another. Encouraging one another. This entire section is reminding Timothy and all preachers and teachers that the Word is going to do the work. Not you, not me, not the most gifted Sunday school teacher in this room. It is God's Word. But the call is not simply for Timothy to preach the word. The call is also for the church to keep hearing the word. In light of the end, he says, keep hearing the word. Look what he says here. Verse 3, 4. Right? Why? Why, Timothy, are you to keep preaching this word in season and out of season? Why are you to reprove, rebuke, and encourage with complete patience and teaching? Because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions because of our own sinful passions we all desire for preachers and teachers to tell us stuff that suits our lifestyle so maybe you wonder how do i guard against a preacher who will only say what i want to hear well it's not foolproof but look for preachers who preach through books of the bible why do i say that because it protects from the teacher just the preacher or the teacher talking about their favorite text or topics it also forces them to deal with text and topics that might offend you or get them in trouble i can tell you as a preacher sometimes it's like man i'm not sure i want to say that because i'm afraid it's going to tick you off and it's going to cost me but when you preach through books man there it is and the people are watching they're like well preach why'd you skip over verse four you afraid bro maybe i might ask you today why do you grow quiet with your family why do you go quiet on your job site Are you afraid? Listen to this. Look what he says. Because the time is coming when people will not endure sound or healthy teaching. They won't. And and so, brothers and sisters, this is a call for us. 
to keep gathering with the church, coming. Right? If you show me someone who is gathering with the church weekly to hear God's Word and study God's Word, and, and they're spending time in the Word throughout the week, I, I'm going to show you someone that's beginning to look more and more like Christ. Because this is what He happens. He says, because this time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Look what happens. Verse 3 there. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And what will be the result of that? He says, look at verse 4. And will turn away. They're going to turn away from listening to this truth and wander off into mist. That's why this is so important. I've said it many times. I feel like a lot here. I beat that drum at the end, but I want to say it again. Where you go to church matters. I hear that refrain. It doesn't matter where you go. Just go somewhere. I understand the heart behind it, but I want to be absolutely clear to you that the gospel that you are hearing is conforming or not conforming you to the image of Christ. What is being preached and taught, it matters. Why? Because it will lead. Look what he says. When you begin to hear just what you want to hear, it'll turn you away from listening to this truth and you'll wander off into mists. And as I don't have time today, but Demas is going to show us in this letter, part of the letter. It'll lead you to love the things of the world and reject the things of God. In other words, as we talked about Wednesday night, one of the things after 18 years I become more and more convinced of is that the way to God's kingdom is truly narrow. Jesus himself said that the road that leads to hell is wide and the gate there is is big and many there are that are on it. But the way unto life, into God's kingdom, he says, it is a narrow path and a narrow gate and only a few will find it. Brothers and sisters, I am telling you, the world is going to give you that honey potion pot and it will draw unto you. But beloved, I want to urge you one final day, hold fast to the Lamb of God. Hold fast to this word. It will be good for you and for your children. It will strengthen your soul. Even in the days of being out of season. It's a warning. It's been my aim for 15 years in preaching this word to you and three years again before that to your children and the youth to proclaim this word because this word is able to again give be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It has been our aim as we've come to visit you or call or whatever to call you back into this fold. Why? Because of the danger of where it leads turning away from listening to truth and wandering off to miss. And so look what Paul says. Again, this refrain, if you've been with us the last four weeks or so, you've been hearing this refrain repeated. Look, he says in verse 5, as for you. Right? It's like that, that parent or grandparent or that, that discipler in your life. Like where they're, they're talking about, hey, guess, just because everybody else is doing it, as for you. Right? I mean, you may get tired of hearing that. You can still maybe hear your parents as a kid saying that stuff and you didn't want to hear it. But that's a reminder. Look what he says. As for you, like, man, this Timothy, this isn't be the way, brother. As for you, always be sober minded. Think about things rightly. Endure suffering. Don't grow weary, Timothy. Do the work of evangelists. Don't shrink back, church. Keep sharing the gospel with your family and your friends. He says, fulfill your ministry. You see, we've talked about it before, but. The reminder is, as preachers and teachers and as a church as a whole, we are ambassadors. When you think about ambassadors, right, the ambassador leaves the country of their origin, right, their home country, and they go to another country. 
But they don't go there of their own accord or to say what they want to say or do what they want to do. No, they go representing that king or that president, ultimately the rights and desires of that country. But if they don't follow that, there's going to come judgment. I I want to urge you this day, in light of this text, be faithful ambassadors for Christ. Be faithful. For I long to see each of you standing mature and complete before Christ on that day. I hear Paul saying he's like a mother laboring until the church is formed to the image of Christ. As I leave, I want to urge you and remind you again that nothing will impact that more than this word being faithfully preached to you and you hearing this word and receiving it and obeying it and treasuring it. Of seeing who Christ is. That's the preaching of the gospel. It is, it is to continually bring before our eyes. This is why we study in Sunday school. This is why we gather in groups. This is why you spend time alone in God's Word at your home. You are gazing upon the beauty of Christ. And day by day, as you turn and you look, you say, He's more glorious than I thought. As I think back on 18 years, in some ways I, I need to say, I'm sorry. I haven't done enough to tell you how glorious He truly is. He's more beautiful than I would have ever been able to describe Him to you. In some ways, He's indescribable. His glory is far-reaching. His holiness is great. His righteousness is true. But His mercy is more than you and I have ever imagined. I don't know where you've been or what you've done. But I know that God's Word that says that where our sin abounds, what church? Grace abounds all the more. You see, God is the only one who can truly know you and yet perfectly love you. It is God who has sent forth His only begotten Son to rescue us. This is the preaching of the Word that Timothy is to be doing. This is the preaching and proclaiming the Word this church is to continue doing. You are to be ambassadors, letting everyone know. As the old saying goes, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. It's this hope of the gospel. I want to ask you this day, this last day, will you continue to gather here to hear this word? Is that a resolute conviction for you, brother or sister? Will you continue to submit your lives to God and resist your own passions? It will impact your eternity, Paul is saying. This is no small matter. And so again, he not only is talking about this judgment in the end, he returns back to it now as we come to our second truth. In light of the end, keep the faith, verses 6 through 8. In light of the end, keep the faith. Look what he says, beginning in verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul is describing his impending death like the sacrifice in the Old Testament where they would pour the drink offering upon the altar. And he's, he's saying, listen... My life is like that. But it's interesting. It's interesting here what's happening because the tense that Paul is using is a passive tense. Paul is saying to us, I'm not pouring myself out. Someone else is pouring me out. And that someone is is God. Paul is saying, listen, I I want you to know that that God is, is pouring out my life. In other words, Timothy and church, Paul's death won't be an accident. Paul's death won't be a mistake. Paul's death will not be Satan and the dark forces of evil winning. God is in charge of the day we are born, the day we die. I don't know about you, but that gives me peace, the sovereignty of God, the almighty of God. That doesn't mean that you and I shouldn't be prudent and wise. 
For this same Paul who says that also was the same Paul who was let down a basket during the night over the wall that he might escape. This isn't calling us to run and stick our necks under the guillotine. But it also means that you and I don't have to base how we live and where we follow God based on fear. Hear that again. We do not have to live our lives and where we go based on fear. God is sovereign. He is ruling. He is pouring out Paul's life. So even though it appears that Nero is ruling over Paul's life and he's got him in prison, Paul is saying to all of us, God is still in control. He's still in control. In the words of Josiah's favorite preacher, George Whitfield, the great preacher of the 1700s, an evangelist who saw thousands upon thousands come to know Christ, he was a man who was also hated and despised under constant threat of punishment and danger. It was that great George Whitfield who once said these words, We are immortal until our work on earth is done. We are immortal until our work on earth is done. And why are we immortal? Because Paul reminds us here, it is ultimately God who is in charge. It is God who is ruling and reigning. Church, I don't know about you, but that should give us and our children peace to lay down and sleep, whether we are in Allendale or Africa, whether you're in Dubai or Denansburg, whether you're in Grab or Greenwich. God, as the great missionary John Payton used to say to himself and his family, the same God that was with us there is the same God that's with us here. Do you believe it? Are you living it? This is the power of God for I'm being poured out. As a drink offering, the time of my departure has come. The time of my departure has come. Those words have they've been wagging their finger at me for a while now. One last time in this saddle. I keep telling myself this week. The time of my departure has come. And I want to say to you, thank you. The follower of Christ that I am, the husband that I am, the father that I am, the preacher that I am, it's a reflection of you all. You see, I'm indebted to this congregation. Because I've had so many of you that have shown me the way. Those of us that have gone before us, reminding us that death is but a step. Just trust Him. There's those who have been in this congregation who have reminded me of practical truths like never let another man be the first one to tell your wife she's beautiful. It's a great story. You ought to hear it sometime. Or in moments of discouragement and doubt and defeat, I've had faithful brothers in this church remind me, love believes the best. Quit always assuming the worst about people. And then I've been in the presence of godly widows and heard them still pray. Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What I'm saying to you, GBC, is you have prepared us well. As our departure comes... I want to say thank you. Thank you. And I hope and pray that you and I might stand one day and be able to say what the words the Apostle Paul said in verse 7. Those epic words that ring true. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
GBC, I say to you this day, stay the course. Stay the course. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep running the race. Keep the faith, my precious flock. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Wow. Wow. Listen to Paul says in verse 8. Henceforth, therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul, in light of keeping the faith and running the race, he says there's a reward coming. The crown of righteousness. Now, Paul is not here contradicting himself in other places like Philippians and Romans and reminding us that we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He himself, in fact, makes emphatically clear in Philippians 2, verse 13. He says, it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So Paul is saying to us what we've been saying for years. The right root will produce the right fruit. So I want to ask you as you examine the fruit in your life, is it revealing the fact that you've truly been born again? So he's saying, henceforth, therefore, in response to continuing in the faith, finishing the race, keeping the faith, keep fighting the good fight. Paul is saying, listen, the reward is coming for me. He calls it again, the Lord, he says, again, this idea of judgment, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. But did you hear the good news? Did you see there in verse 8 the encouragement to keep running the race? Look what he says at the end of that verse. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved or longed for his appearing. The crown, the reward, eternal life. It's not just for the elites like Paul. Paul says this is for everyone like him who sets their hearts on loving his appearing. That means they have set their hearts on the return of Christ. And you might say, well, what's that even mean? To love his appearing is to love God more than pleasure. To love his appearing is to hold to this word even when it's out of season in the culture in which you live. To love his appearing is to live your daily life seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and not your own kingdom. You see, this has been not the anthem just of Paul in 60 A.D. It was the anthem of prophets like Nehemiah in 400-some B.C. They've returned back. Cyrus of Persia has sent them back as they're coming in. And and Babylon had devastated the land and sent them to exile. And now they're beginning to rebuild the walls. And soon they find other countries and others around them beginning to to ponder and to scheme and to send lies and deception about how they're going to attack them. And Nehemiah finally comes up in that moment of Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14. He says to them as they prepare for battle, he says, Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah was saying to them, there are some things worth fighting for. Paul is saying to us today, there are some things worth dying for. And when I would say to you, there are some things worth leaving everything for. It's the name of Christ, brother and sister. It is the sake of God's name. It is what Christ has done for us. I know there are some who think, man, you guys are fools. If I be a fool, I pray I'm a fool for Christ. I might be urged and 
compelled on this day. And maybe you might find yourself too, the Jim Elliott, the missionary who lost his life trying to take the gospel to a group that had never heard. It was Jim Elliott said that he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. We've been asking ourselves today, what will our lives look like when we come to the end? The truth is, in some way, you already have a glimpse. Look around you. It's how you're living right now. You see, we assume when we talk about the end that it'll be someday when we're old and then this will happen and we'll know it's coming. But brother and sister, no one knows. So in essence, you and I, in a lot of ways, we are living our lives to the end the very way we're living them now. I don't know about you, but that calls for repentance in my life. Confession to get things right. What today do you need to get right with God? Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. This is your day. So we've seen the impact of preaching and hearing the word of God. We've heard in light of the end that we are to keep the faith. And the third and last truth comes to this. In light of the end, never forget that God is keeping you. In light of the end, never forget that God is keeping you. Listen to what he says, beginning in verse 9 through 15 here in 2 Timothy 4. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love of this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's the same Demas in Colossians chapter 4, I think it's verse 14, who Paul was commending as an example to the church. Brothers and sisters, do not think today in your pride or in my own pride that that can't be us. For Demas, in love with this present world, he who once appeared to love Christ is now loving the world and deserted the gospel and the church and Paul, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me, for my ministry. He says further, Tychius, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Trous, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. I don't think it's lost on any of us how much Paul loves Christ and he longs to hold fast. But I think here in this verse, these few verses, we're seeing some of Paul's humanity. Did you hear it? We've heard it a couple times throughout the letter, but now as he comes to the end, there's this seeming this culmination, right, of saying, look what he says in verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Verse 13, when you come, we don't have time today, but verse 21, do your best to come to me before winter. Paul's saying with a flurry as he comes to a close, come visit me. Come visit Again, it doesn't mean Luke is with him. Paul has the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're going to see, even though everyone else is deserting him, seemingly. But Paul is saying to Timothy, come visit. You see, for Timothy, this wasn't going to be easy. Consider it. To go and visit Paul is dangerous. Just as it was for Peter and the other disciples to be associated with Christ. Are you one of them? Your your accent gives you away. Surely you're one of them. Now, I don't know the man, Peter said. To be associated with Paul would bring him in the crosshairs. Not only that, verse 14 and 15, Paul has warned him of Alexander the coppersmith. He says, be aware of him. He strongly opposed our message. He brought, again, a great deal of harm to Paul. So it's dangerous for Timothy to come. Secondly, it's no short journey. Again, this is about 60 A.D., but the distance from Ephesus to Rome was about 1,000 miles, most of it by ship, which would be at a great peril or danger. For anyone traveling in that time, it was dangerous, it was risky, it was long, it would be hard. 
Furthermore, there's going to be no good time to leave. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. There's so much to be done. And if I'm being really transparent, brothers and sisters, don't be surprised if you receive some letters from us that say, would you come soon? Would you come soon? I know it won't be easy or cheap. Flights are expensive. Vaccines are required. There's fears of flying or what's it look like to leave the farm or your family or your job. And that's why we hope and pray this church might work together. That you might support one another. That you might provide the finances to help someone else to go. Or you might help watch over the farm or do whatever on their behalf. But I hear in some way I knew, I don't know it yet, but I'm imagining the days to come. That there might be some, some, would you come soon? The boys are asking, would you bring some ski with you? Can I get a witness? We are certain of it. The gospel, Africa needs not only the gospel, they need ski. You see, facing challenges is a part of the Christian life. But here's the good news for Paul and the good news for you. You don't have to face it alone. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the season ahead leads for you, you don't have to face it alone. Listen to Paul as he says in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. When Paul first stood before Caesar in his second Roman imprisonment, it says that everyone deserted him. But listen to Paul's heart. May it not be charged against them. Paul forgives those who have deserted him when he most needed them. You know whose example he's following? The one who knew what it was like for all of the disciples to desert him and flee in his hour of most need. I don't know who it is for you that you may need to forgive. It could be something that happened this week or it could be months and years in the past. But might I ask you, you won't be able to do it in your own strength, brother or sister. But the power of the Holy Spirit might strengthen you to say, Lord, may it not be charged against them. After 18 years of ministry, I'm not naive to the fact that I have hurt and offended some of you. I'm not aware of any specific grievance that someone has against me, but I realize that there is the possibility of such. To the best of my ability, I've sought reconciliation, but if there is something that you are holding against me, or some way in which I've harmed or hurt you over these last 18 years, I urge you, before I leave, please, come, let us seek reconciliation together. Is that not the way of our Master? Who taught us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you? So again, if I've done something to harm you, I pray that you, by grace, might be able to say with Paul, may it not be charged against him. But while Paul seemingly stands here alone, there's one who stands with him. Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, it's the word ethnos, all the nations might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Who is sustaining Paul? Who will sustain you? The Lord. It's the Lord. As we rest, as we prepare to part, I'll just be honest, I rest in knowing that ultimately the Lord will be the one who will stand by and strengthen each of you. It's the Lord. And Paul, again, is, look, look what he says. This is not 
And if, you, if you're able to come tonight, Psalm 67, you're going to see it's not just idle that, that God's doing these things in our lives. It's not just idle work that God's shown us grace. There's a reason. There's something God has intended. Look what he says. So that, therefore, because, look at that, that through me, the Lord is strengthening Paul, standing beside Paul when everyone else had deserted. Why? So that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So it was rescued from the lion's mouth. And then he goes on to say, as we close, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Turn to the last page of my notes, love. As a kid, I always remember loving the Kentucky Derby and hearing the announcer say, and down the stretch they come. I mean, I know it's the best two minutes in racing, but man, when that statement came across, you just kind of rose up to your feet. This in some ways is our final stretch, beloved. God help us. I love you all. You're my very heart. God help us. Look what he says there, verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. You see, the truth is we haven't always known that rescue. We, we haven't always, that safety hasn't always been ours. Why? Because we once were like the rest of the world. We once too had itching ears and itching hearts. They didn't want anything to do with God and His Word. We wanted to seek our own pleasure, our own end, our own fulfillment. But beloved, that is sinking sand. That is leading you in the mist and not toward the truth. Instead, I want you to know today the world promises that's rescue, but it's not rescue. It actually brings wrath. It brings judgment from a holy God. That is until our Lord came. That God Himself took on flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ came to our rescue. He overcame every evil deed and temptation. And He Himself went to the old rugged cross. And you know what didn't happen there? Rescue. You see, the religious leaders and others mocked. If He is the Christ, let Him come down and save Himself. And we'll believe Him. It was on the cross that the bloodied and crucified Savior cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the question you and I must ask of this old rugged cross is, why was there no rescue that day? And the answer is, so there could be rescue in your day. There could be deliverance in your day. That you might be brought safely into God's kingdom. That is why there was no rescue that day. Because he cried out, Father, if there's any other way, may this cup pass from me. But silence. So that you would never know that cry. That today, if you would humble yourself and repent and believe, you might cry out and you, beloved, might know the rescue of God from every evil deed. And you, by grace through faith, might be brought safely into God's kingdom. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. The hope of God's gospel is for you today. One final time, I urge you with all that's in me, be reconciled to God. Please. You see, that's why our parents and the forebears who've gone before us have been teaching us to sing. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, 
bought me with His precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave? The God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it forth, thy courts above. Brothers and sisters, rest today because the God who rescued Paul by grace through faith is willing to rescue and keep you also by grace through faith and bring you safely into his kingdom. This week, a great pastor, apologist, theologian, author, Tim Keller, went to be with the Lord. Tim Keller once said, when speaking about faith, this great quote, I want to share it with you. If you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to the weak faith in a strong branch. Hear it again. If you're falling off a cliff, strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Salvation is not finally based on the strength of your faith, but on the object of your faith. Church, whether you find yourself today or someday in the future in the midst of spiritual weakness and struggle, remember that there is a God who is able to keep you. It is as we have sung so many times, and Lord willing, if we meet again tonight, we will sing these words. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. As we depart this day, with the world of man and the spiritual forces against you, don't lose fact that our Savior has come and already brought the victory. And if you are a child of God, He has enlisted you into His army. So we are not to shrink back. We are to be those who continue to push forward. We are to those who believe that our Savior said, I tell you the truth, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we have hope, brothers and sisters, that there will come a day when the King of glory will bring us safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever, church. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank You for the seasons of life that You've given. These 18 years here with this precious people. Thank You, Lord. It's been a gift from You. Thank You for the ways that they have loved us and cared for us. I pray, O oh God, that we have been an encouragement to them, that we have loved them well. Father, I now pray for their days ahead. Entrusting them to the word of your grace, which is able to build them up and give them an inheritance amongst the saints. Father, I pray that they might take hold of the gospel that's been once and for all entrusted to the saints. Protect them from every evil scheme and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I pray that they might stand with the full armor of God that in the day of evil they can stand against it by Your grace. Father, I pray that You will strengthen this church, that its days 
ahead of it are greater than anything else we've ever seen or even imagined. God, would you protect it? Would you keep this church united? Would you fill it with your love? Would you give it a hunger and thirst for the gospel, for this community and the nations? And God, we look forward to the day when we'll be with you. When there'll be no more death or no more crying, no more pain, no more tears, no more parting. For the old order of things you said will be passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. Write these words down, you said, for they are trustworthy and true. Father, as much as I've endeavored to preach your word, I know that it's trustworthy and true. May they hold fast as you ultimately hold them fast. Thank you, Father, for keeping us and protecting us and rescuing us. And one day bringing us safely into your kingdom together. I pray it in Christ's name. And the church said, Amen, Amen.